This is Being Catholic with Bob Johnston on Catholic Spirit Radio. Hi, this is Bob Johnston, and you're listening to Being Catholic right here on Catholic Spirit Radio, 89.5 FM and 92.5 FM in good old McLean County and Bloomington Normal, 88.3 in Pontiac, 97.1 in Lincoln, 89.1 in DeKalb Sycamore, and 89.3 Morris Joliet, covering much of central Illinois and also northern Illinois and growing, thanks to you. We're going to have a great show for you today. I'm here with my wife, Lynn. Remember always that we're brought to you by you, so any donations that you can make are always appreciated, and they help uh, very much. And In fact, they are the reason that we are able to bring our shows to you and bring EWTN also to you. So always, again, anything that you can donate is always appreciated. If you'd like to make a donation, you can go to our website, and that's catholicspiritradio.com. Again, that's catholicspiritradio.com. You can also call us at 309-807-2427. Again, that's 309-807-2427. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit more uh, toward integralism today. Uh, Remember, it is a mad, 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 mad world out there. And that's one of the reasons why we are leading up to this. Uh, before we get directly into it, I'm going to talk a little bit more about religious freedom today. I talked about it last week, but I think we need to understand the fact that uh, religious freedom is limited. Uh, there is no such thing as complete religious freedom, and I've said that before, but I think we need to go into what the church considers uh, its uh, right to religious freedom and the difference between the church's idea of religious freedom and the state's idea of religious freedom. So we will talk about that before we go further into uh, the idea of integralism. Before we start, I'm going to turn this over to my wife, Lynn. I think she has something to say, so uh, I'll go ahead and do that now. Well, he knows I always have something to say. Getting it out is quite another thing. The bong count is up today, and the allergies are going crazy. Well, this begins, this is July 1st. Can you believe that? I don't know where the year went, the first half, but uh, three days and we'll have the 4th of July. Our prayer group this week, uh, when we met on Zoom, we did the patriotic rosary for our country. And one of the readings I thought was very appropriate to what Bob has been talking about. And it's written by Jetta Morris, 1799, that ran the t- year I think our Constitution was ratified in 1799, is that right? No, I think it was a little bit earlier than that. I think it's about 10 years, I think it was about 1789. And, uh, this would that would be later. Yeah, this would be a little bit later. This would be, yeah, yeah, 10 years later. Oh, okay. No, 1799. Right. Okay, I, so you're 89. 89, I, I think, think our Constitution right. was ratified in 1789. <laughs> the war was fought, of course, in 1776. Well, it started in 1775. And then was uh, the Declaration and so forth, 1776. And then there were, you know, the Articles of Confederation for a while. We were governed under that. And then they had the Constitution. Well, it wasn't really the Constitutional Convention. It was a convention to strengthen the Articles of Confederation. But at it, they actually 
uh, wrote the uh, Constitution and, and adopted the Constitution, and I think it was ratified in 1789. Right. Okay. Jeremiah Morris, he's a very influential uh, educator, a congregational minister, and he wrote the what I'm going to read. To the kindly influence of Christianity, we owe that degree of civil freedom and political and social happiness which mankind now enjoys. In proportion as the genuine effects of Christianity are diminished in any nation, either through unbelief or the corruption of its doctrines or the neglect of its institutions. In the same proportion will the people of that nation recede from the blessings of genuine freedom and approximate the miseries of complete despotism. All efforts to destroy the foundations of our holy religion ultimately to lend to the subversion also of our political freedom and happiness. Wherever the pillars of Christianity shall be overthrown, our present republican form of government and all the blessings that flows from them must fall with them. And that's Jeremiah Morris in 1799. It seems very apropos to what's going on politically right now in this country. Here's a warning. Jeremiah Morris, by the way, was the father of Samuel Morris, who invented the telegraph. Yeah, That's what I was going to ask. I was just going to ask that, uh, and you went ahead and said that he was. I just wondered if he was. Uh, Exactly what he said is uh, correct. Uh, The fact is, is that our country seems to be in dissolution today. And uh, a lot of the problems are because a lot of the principles of Christianity are being flaunted. In fact, they're being totally forgotten. And uh, a lot of the laws that we have on account of that are contradictory. And we're having a decline in our behavior, decline in uh, our, our morale. I was talking about uh, something like only 39. It was talking about the 4th of July, and it said like, uh, there's a huge majority of the people in this country that are sort of demoralized and don't feel that uh, the country is what is you know what they were taught that it is supposed to be, and they have a you know lack of faith in the direction that we're going, and so uh, one of the things I think is because the principles, the Christian principles, guiding and restraining and constraining. Uh, our interpretation of our constitution and our laws are being flaunted. If not flaunted, they're simply being ignored and forgotten. And uh, uh, because of the uh, falling away from it, uh, it's leading to a lot of the decline. Right. I think it very apropos. Whenever the pillars of Christianity shall be overthrown, our present Republican form of government will fall. And it is doing so. And I want to, before I go into any further on integralism, I'm going to continue with last week's uh, topic, which was uh, the uh, American myth of religious freedom. 
And I'm going to read from a book entitled uh, by that that title. It's uh, called, uh, it's by Kenneth R. Craycraft, Craycraft Jr. It's entitled The American Myth of Religious Freedom. And uh, it's uh, published by Spence Books. And the volume is, uh, the original uh, writing was in 1999, but it's still applicable today to uh, our Constitution and to the ideas of the Catholic Church and the uh, proclamation of religious liberty in Vatican II. So it's still in keeping with uh, what the Catholic Church teaches. And uh, again, when we use the word American myth, we don't mean like something that is simply, you know, a tall tale or a lie. It's this myth that has grown up about what religious freedom is. It's the narrative that we have constructed in America concerning religious freedom. And we have extended the idea of religious freedom much further than it really actually was enshrined in the Constitution. And Craycraft talks about the limits of religious freedom, the fact that the the I'll go into it a little bit more here and read from it, so we'll, we'll just get into that. But at any rate, uh, as an overview of it, here's pretty much what the book itself says, and then I'm going to read from some uh, some readings in the book. It says the state, or it doesn't say, I'm saying here, I'm paraphrasing, that the state is not neutral, and it has its own religious, or if you want to call it anti-religious or irreligious point of view, and I guess the irreligious point of view would be the best description. Uh, but today, uh, we could actually almost go over to the anti-religious point of view. There is a, a we're, we're living in a, not only a post-Christian era, but we're living pretty much in a secular liberalism, anti-Christian era. And uh, the state doesn't only have its own point of view, its own irreligious point of view. It backs up that point of view with the force of law. And uh, again, that point of view is pretty much secular materialism, if you want to call it that, secular liberalism, uh, secular progressivism. But that is the state point of view. It's backed up by state law. And uh, it is sort of, sort of a religion or an irreligion to itself. Maybe irreligion is a better description. The reason Supreme Court ruling, rulings notwithstanding these rulings that we've just had recently, well, welcome, are not so-called conservative. They are standard liberalism and constitutionalism. And uh, although the ruling in, in the Laurie Smith case, if uh, those people have heard of it, Laurie Smith is someone who uh, creates websites, and I guess she was asked by a uh, same-sex couple to create a website that she didn't agree with, and she would have had to say things in creating that website that she didn't believe. And so she... Uh, would before anyone actually came to her, I think she appealed in court that if this did happen to her, she uh, could not comply with it, and it was a violation of her freedom of speech. So while this was really not a religious ruling by the Supreme Court, at least the ruling was that uh, someone like Lori Smith, if she was approached by uh, same-sex couples, and they wanted her to say things that she didn't believe in, she would not have to do that. And that's how the Supreme Court came down. And that's a good thing. But it really isn't a religious freedom ruling. It's a freedom of speech ruling. 
and uh, it doesn't uh, actually remove uh, Lori Smith from offering her services to same-sex people. She wouldn't be able to withhold her services just because somebody was uh, in a same-sex marriage, even though she doesn't believe in that. But she would not have to say things that uh, she doesn't believe in in creating the website, and they wouldn't be able to make her do that. And it's caused a big stir as it is, but it really is not. A, uh, a ruling uh, on uh, the uh, religious clauses in our Constitution. Uh, for example, Catholic adoption agencies in various states still have to adopt out the same sex, uh, uh, out to same sex or homosexual practitioners. They would have to adopt children out to these people. And the Catholic Church, of course, doesn't believe in that. And so they've had to close down their adoption agencies in those states because otherwise they would have to adopt children out to uh, these people. And, you know, it's something they simply, uh, the church d- doesn't believe in and, and uh, can't do. And uh, so we have a situation in which kids who deserve a good home are deprived of perhaps getting a good home uh, through the Catholic agencies, which have done a great job all through history, all through the past simply because of this idea that somehow or another Catholics have to be forced by law to do what their religion forbids them from doing. And uh, so this is, you know, these are things that still are, are, have not been uh, solved. And so the idea that uh, the state is neutral is simply wrong. Uh, it, it isn't. But uh, in the myth of... Uh, the myth of religious freedom, the American myth of religious freedom uh, by Craycraft, the Constitution, the state that is a freedom of religion clause, what it implies is that to believe that it is a true fact that there is one true religion and that its content is factually true is a false belief. I'll say it again. The state implies you know, it's implicit in the state's rulings and in the state law and in the uh, religious clause in the Constitution itself. It's implicit that uh, to believe that the Catholic religion or any religion for that matter is a true fact and to believe as Catholics do that there is one true religion and that its content is factually true is a false belief. So that's that's the state uh, in effect, what's adopted in our Constitution, and that all religious belief is just a personal opinion. That is the point of view that the Constitution takes. It takes the point of view that religious belief is just a personal opinion, and uh, the people that believe that their particular religion is a true fact, uh, the, the people that believe that are misled, you know, are, are wrong that their belief is just an opinion and that they really legally can't take it as a truism. But the state itself treats this implication as factually true. In other words, the state is saying, we know what religion is, and we know that religion is a personal opinion, and we know that uh, religion is not factually true. That is what they're saying because that is the principle that they operate on when they pass laws that... uh, force religions to conform to whatever the general law is that that they pass. This isn't surprising. The state has to be regnant. That is, their laws, when they pass them, have to be obeyed by everybody or the state wouldn't have a law. And that point of view of their law has to come from somewhere. 
And that point of view simply is an irreligious point of view. Their religion itself is simply a personal opinion. And that if a general state law, that is a law that applies to everybody, goes against a particular religion, then that religion has to conform to the law because the law is factually and based on a true understanding of what religion is. And the religious people that hold the understanding that is different are simply wrong in holding that understanding. That's how the state goes. So the state really can't be neutral, and it can't somehow or another adopt a non-religious uh, opinion. It can't be neutral, and it has to adopt a religious, and in this case, you might say irreligious, the opposite of a religious opinion. And all states have to do this. And so if the state uh, belief is dysfunctional, and I think it is, then we have a lot of dysfunctionally in our law and a lot of uh, dysfunction in our society, and that's what we're seeing uh, that is going on right now. So we're going to have to stop here and take a break, and we'll come back to this uh, point of view and uh, read from uh, Kenneth Craycraft uh, a little bit more. So stay with us. We'll be right back. You've been listening to Being Catholic with Bob Johnston on Catholic Spirit Radio. July is the month for Catholic Spirit Radio's Matching Monday. I'm this year's Matching Monday donor, Patricia, and I'm going to double up to $6,000 every donation made on the Mondays in July. I challenge you to donate big, so I have to write that matching big check. Donate online at catholicspiritradio.com or mail your check on any Monday in July to 108 Boykin's Place in Normal. Why am I willing to be the matching donor? Before I converted, Catholicism seemed mysterious to me, even though my husband was Catholic. However, after speaking with a priest, I knew I wanted to become a Catholic, too. I began listening to EWTN programs and grew tremendously in my understanding and love of the faith. When my children came along, I was thankful that we could attend church together, and we still do whenever family comes to town. Catholic Spirit Radio needs our financial support so we can grow in our faith. If you've never donated, start this July. If you've donated in the past, July is the month to give extra. Remember, I will double it during July Matching Mondays. Help seniors remain independent. Faith in Action is a nonprofit providing transportation for people over 60 to medical appointments and grocery stores. Become a Faith in Action driver in the extended Bloomington Normal Area, 309-827-7780. Hi, this is Kathy and Anne from Catholic Spirit Radio. We are looking for folks who would love to volunteer with us during our fundraisers and various other station events and tasks throughout the year. We really need volunteers in the DeKalb, Sycamore, Morris, Joliet, and Lincoln areas, as well as Bloomington Normal. If you have a few extra hours or more a month, put them to use for the Lord. We would love to add your name to our Catholic Spirit Radio volunteer list. Contact us at office at catholicspiritradio.org. Hi, this is Bob Johnston. You're listening to Being Catholic right here on Catholic Spirit Radio. We're back from our break, and we're talking about uh, religious freedom. We're talking about the fact that the uh, state has to adopt some type of religious uh, opinion, a point of view, and that the point of view uh, in our Constitution and uh, the point of view uh, from the freedom of religious clauses in our Constitution is implicit that religion uh, is just a personal opinion and that it is not necessarily true and that it can't be taken as a factual truth uh, by any one particular religion, such as the Catholic religion, and that the state law uh, that applies to everyone generally, if it happens to contradict a particular principle or point of a 
the Catholic religion or any other religion, then the religion has to conform to it. And while that is true of any state, it has to be regnant. The point is, is that the state is taking a religious, or if you want to say irreligious point of view, and enforcing it by law. It's not being neutral, because it is defining what religion is. And it's saying, in effect, your religion, whatever it is, is a personal opinion. And while you're entitled to hold that personal opinion, if our general law goes against it, then you have to obey the general law in contradiction to your religion. For example, the Catholic Church in certain states has to adopt out a child to a same-sex or homosexual couple. And even though the Catholic Church doesn't believe in that and takes its belief as being a factual truth handed down to it by Jesus Christ himself, the state takes the opposite point of view that that is not the case, that your particular uh, belief on that is simply a belief, it's an opinion, a personal opinion, and uh, while you're entitled to hold it, you're not entitled to act in such a way that uh, you can't, con- that you, you know, are free to not conform to that law. So our churches, for example, in uh, various states have had to close down their adoption agencies because otherwise they would be forced to adopt against their consciences and against their beliefs, which they take as factual, uh, that you shouldn't adopt out children to homosexual couples or same-sex couples, that uh, children belong with a mother and a father and so forth. And that's the religious point of view that they hold. And the state takes that as something that is simply a personal opinion. And that's, in effect, then the state is defining what religion is. And that is a religious position in and of itself, and it certainly isn't neutral. Let me read from uh, Kenneth K. Craycraft. And I'm reading here from uh, a section entitled, The Freedom of the Church. And it says here, the greatest distinction between constitutional uh, theory of religious liberty and the Vatican II theory is the subject of religious liberty. In the Vatican, uh, in the constitutional uh, theory, religious liberty resides in the conscience of each individual. Neither the church nor God may bind man's conscience and still call it free. A church is merely a spontaneous, voluntarily assemblage of like-minded, radically free atomic men. And what he means here by atomic men is that materialistic people that are motivated and so forth just by the material world, uh, just uh, flesh and blood beings uh, that uh, are not, you know, that are not uh, guided and so forth by a soul. This is what the, the, the position the law takes, even if the people who are in charge of the law may not necessarily believe that. That is what the position of the law is. It just deals with the real material world. It doesn't deal with any transcendence. It goes on here. It says, in the uh, Vatican theory, religious liberty is primarily and essentially seated in the church as the free people of God. Uh, It says, one is uh, either profoundly wrong or profoundly, profoundly appropriative in the reading of the American idea. Neither the church nor the American Constitution affirms that a person has a right to believe what is false or to do what is wrong. 
this would be moral nonsense. While it is certainly correct that this is moral nonsense, it is just such nonsense that is established by the First Amendment. The First Amendment must mean either that there is no such thing as a false religious opinion, or that there is such a thing, but there is no moral obligation to resist it. It might be correct, therefore, that the First Amendment does not represent such moral nonsense as the rightness to believe falsehood, but this is only because the First Amendment institutionalizes the idea that there is no such thing as a religious falsehood, because in effect religion is just a personal opinion. From a Catholic point of view, this is legal and political institutionalization of falsehood. Obversely, in other words, on the other side, the First Amendment necessarily implies that what traditional religion, religious believers believe is false. In other words, traditional religious believers believe, that is, traditional Catholics and the church itself, believe that their religion is factually true, it was established by Jesus Christ, and that they were given the authority to go out into the world and teach it. In fact, they were commanded by Jesus Christ to go do so. He commanded them, go out into the world and teach everything that I have commanded you. And I will be with you till the end of time. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. <clears throat> and so on. And the Catholics take that as being you know, literally true. But the state, of course, does not. It treats that as simply a religious belief or opinion. So it takes a particular point of view and defines what religion is. In fact, it is defining by law that religion is simply a personal opinion, and it's not a fact and doesn't have any binding uh, authority on men's behavior. So to say that the state is neutral is simply uh, nonsense. It's not neutral. Uh, <clears throat> it goes on. It says, The Vatican understands the freedom of the church as entailing the twin claims of ultimate spiritual authority over mankind and unrestricted access to the salvation the church offers. Of course, both of these claims imply the overarching claim that the church is free to define itself and its mission, and that this freedom supersedes the freedom of any political regime. In effect, it is saying that our right to adopt out children to whom we think is you know, the, the proper uh, to do it, a mother and a father, supersedes the right of the state to interfere with uh, our freedom to practice that religion. So the Catholic Church looks upon the restriction of its behavior in the case of adopting children as an interference with its necessary freedom, and that the state is wrong in doing this. So Vatican II affirms this principle, even while trying to protect the civic freedom of those outside the church. The first sense of the church's freedom is announced in a uh, church council, and it's a, a declaration on religious freedom, and it says, quote, The sacred council begins by professing that God himself has made known to the human race how men by serving him can be saved and reach happiness in Christ. We believe that this is one true religion, we believe that this one true religion continues to exist in the Catholic and Apostolic Church, to which the Lord Jesus entrusted the task of spreading it among all men. 
Therefore, the relative freedom of man in forming his conscience must pay careful attention to the sacred and certain teaching of the church. For the Catholic Church is by the will of Christ the teacher of truth. Freedom inheres in the one true church as it proclaims the truth of the gospel. The relative freedom of the individual consists in his not being prevented from embracing this truth, nor insofar as the only authentic expression of faith is one free from coercion. And of course, being forced, I'm just using that one example, to adopt children according to state regulations rather than church regulations is an interference and a coercion with the religious freedom of the believers of the Catholic Church. Uh, And so, uh, you know, in other words, they're being coerced to do so. But even this personal freedom is properly ordered only when it is directed toward the sacred and certain teaching of the church. Men abuse their natural freedom by not heeding this teaching, and thus their full, authentic moral freedom is not attained. Moreover, just as individual liberty is founded in man's duty to God, so the church's political liberty is found in its duty to propagate the gospel. And when it talks about our full, authentic moral freedom is not attained when we don't heed the teaching of the church, we're talking pretty much about what Lynn read earlier the fact that our republic itself begins to disintegrate and to fall apart when the religious teachings upon which it was built uh, fall away because Catholic civilization, or I mean Western civilization itself, was built on the teachings and dogmas and uh, doctrines of the Catholic Church. It's as simple as that. And then those doctrines were further carried out even by Protestant Christians after the Reformation. But a lot of that has now, as Protestantism itself has changed in many, many ways, has uh, fallen away. And, of course, the whole idea of the uh, religious clause in our Constitution waters religion down as well because it implies, and people certainly understand and pick up that implication, it implies that religion and religious belief is simply a personal opinion and uh, is not factually true. But uh, it's the the state's pronouncement uh, on on that, that is the pronouncement that it is not factually true, is actually true. The state acts on that as, as if it is a known truth and passes its laws based on that particular proposition. So it goes on here. It says, uh, it is her duty, the church, to proclaim and teach with authority the truth which Christ, and at the same time, uh, which is Christ, and at the same time to declare and confirm uh, by its authority the principles of the moral order which spring from human nature itself. This is a divine duty which cannot be legitimately abrogated by any human power. So when he says any human power, it means the state. So the church and the state are at odds here with each other. And it is a duty, the perimeter of which the church alone may define. In other words, the state is superseded by the church, and the church has been given the authority by Jesus Christ himself to define these doctrines, dogmas, and these things. And uh, we go back and look at scripture that reaffirms that. Thus, the first order of any political community should be to protect the church as it carries out its mission. The claims and prerogatives of the church are always precedent. 
The freedom of the church is the fundamental principle governing relations between the church and public authorities and the whole civil order. As a spiritual authority appointed by Christ the Lord, with the duty imposed by divine command of going into the whole world and preaching the gospel to every creature, the church claims freedom for herself in human society and before every public authority. The church also claims freedom for herself as a society of men with the right to live in civil society in accordance with the demands of the Christian faith. So the church here is saying primarily it is not trying to interfere with the civic authority except in the sense that it should be left alone and not interfered with in doing its duty as Jesus Christ commanded to carry it out, that it should not be interfered with by laws that prevent it from doing that duty, in effect, such as the laws stopping the church from uh, adopting out children only to uh, married in, in a sacramental marriage, men and women. It is impossible to say that the council is calling for mere tolerance here. In other words, the church isn't saying just tolerate us. It is saying that, in effect, we have to be allowed to carry out the, the uh, commands that we were given by Jesus Christ himself. The premise of the assertion of freedom is that the Catholic Church is the repository of religious truth and the guardian of moral truth. Its freedom in society is based upon its possession of truth, and therefore its freedom is precedent to the freedom of any other institution or individual. Obviously, other religious traditions may not make the same claim. The church's claim to truth is exclusive. And it goes on, it says, in his commentary on his translation of the Declaration, in commentary on this translation of the Declaration, there is a dis- distinguishing between the object of the right, religious liberty and society, and the foundation of that, that freedom, the church's possession of truth. As to the foundation of the right, the Catholic Church claims freedom from coercive interference in her ministry and life on grounds of the divine mandate laid upon her by Christ himself. It is Catholic faith that no other church or community may claim to possess this mandate in all its fullness. In this sense, the freedom of the church is unique, proper to herself alone, by reason of its foundation. Thus, any relative contingent allowance of liberty to individuals or institutions, broad as it may be, is at the pleasure of the church as it makes principled or prudential judgments about the permissible extent of that freedom. In the Consul Declaration, the Church has indeed expanded the bounds of liberty, which it will prudentially sanction, but it has not budged from the central claim of historic Christian faith, namely that the Church alone has an absolute and unqualified claim of freedom, and that all other freedom is defined and delimited by its own claims, just like liberalism. So the Church is claiming the same thing as liberalism is. Liberalism is claiming, in effect, that liberalism— and its idea of religion is factually true, and that liberalism and its idea of liberalism has the right and the authority to enforce its claims by law. And in reality, of course, it does. 
It has the armies and the police and so forth and the power to back up its religious claims. But the Catholic Church is claiming the same claim. The two are at odds with each other, really. And there really is no such thing as religious freedom. And to the extent that other religions believe a lot of the dogma of the Catholic Church, and they do, they too are interfered with and being stopped from carrying out the freedoms that uh, they believe that it's necessary for them to carry out in the same way. There are a lot of churches that would go along with the Catholic Church in saying that children should be adopted out only to a mother and a father. That's the proper uh, form uh, for uh, children to have, both a mother and a father, whenever it, of course, is possible, and so forth. And the church would say people, other people are free to disagree and other people are free not to live that way if they don't want to be Christians, but they have no right to interfere with laws or anything else in the Christian way of carrying out life. And that's exactly what's going on today. Uh, liberals insist, as they must, that the freedom of the church is contingent upon the state's definition, grounding, and the limitation of that freedom. Uh, and the fundamental principle in these things is that neither this church nor any church possesses truth. So the two th- the two churches or the two ideas are at odds with each other. We're going to have to stop here and take a break. So stay with us. We'll be right back. You've been listening to Being Catholic with Bob Johnston on Catholic Spirit Radio. Hi, this is Kathy and Anne from Catholic Spirit Radio. We are looking for folks who would love to volunteer with us during our fundraisers and various other station events and tasks throughout the year. We really need volunteers in the DeKalb, Sycamore, Morris, Joliet, and Lincoln areas, as well as Bloomington Normal. If you have a few extra hours or more a month, put them to use for the Lord. We would love to add your name to our Catholic Spirit Radio volunteer list. Contact us at office at catholicspiritradio.org. Am I pregnant? This is often the first question a woman needs answered when she comes to the Pregnancy Resource Center. What now is the second question. Living Alternatives Pregnancy Resource Center is committed to providing excellent care, compassionate support, and honest information to those facing pregnancy decisions through authentic relationships that display grace, honor life, and foster community. Living Alternatives needs your help to encourage and support women in Bloomington Normal. Make your donation or find out more ways to get involved at PregnancyResourceCenter.org. Hey, this is Father Mitch Pacwa, host of Open Line Wednesday. For me, Catholic Radio is a chance to speak and hear our Catholic doctrine, consider it, think about it, apply it to everyday life, and be blatantly in the public with it. And I am so thankful to you for being an important part of the Lord's plan. By participating and listening, invite others to listen and hear Open Line. July is the month for Catholic Spirit Radio's Matching Monday. I'm this year's Matching Monday donor, Patricia, and I'm going to double up to $6,000 every donation made on the Mondays in July. I challenge you to donate big, so I have to write that matching big check. Donate online at catholicspiritradio.com or mail your check on any Monday in July to 108 Boykin's Place in Normal. Why am I willing to be the matching donor? Before I converted, Catholicism seemed mysterious to me, even though my husband was Catholic. However, after speaking with a priest, I knew I wanted to become a Catholic too. I began listening to EWTN programs and grew tremendously in my understanding and love of the faith. When my children came along, I was thankful that we could attend church together, and we still do whenever family comes to town. Catholic Spirit Radio needs our financial support so we can grow in our faith. If you've never donated, start this July. If you've donated in the past, July is the month to give extra. Remember, I will double it during July Matching Mondays. 
Hi, this is Bob Johnston. You're listening to Being Catholic right here on Catholic Spirit Radio. We're talking here about religious freedom, and we're talking about the fact that the Constitution's uh, definition of religious freedom is a limited one, and that uh, also that the the, the Constitution's definition of liberty of uh, religious religious freedom is treated as regnant. That is, <clears throat> it is not neutral. It is treated as true. It is uh, a statement, in effect, that uh, all belief in religion and all religious beliefs are personal opinions, and uh, they are not, in a sense, factually true. But the state's understanding of that, that is the state's declaration that, uh, that this is what religion is, is factually true. And that is at loggerheads with what the Catholic Church teaches about its understanding of religion because it does the same thing. It, it takes the same position as, as liberalism does, that its idea of religion is given to it by Jesus Christ, and it's factually true. And the state's idea that religion is simply a personal opinion is not true. And so the, the two things really uh, are not reconcilable, and there is no such thing as, you know, complete religious freedom. It is true that the state uh, <clears throat> has to be regnant, but the, the position that it takes is simply this. It says right here, the state alone possesses religious truth, namely that there is no religious truth or that all religious opinion is mere opinion and no man's religious opinion may enjoy privilege. <laughs> over the, the, the definition of religion by the state. Dissenting claims of religious freedom may be made only within the boundaries uh, that liberalism entails. So liberalism, in effect, is a religion unto itself, or better yet, probably an irreligion unto itself. It's a mirror of religion. Yeah, it's, it's an opinion that uh, defines and declares religion as something that is merely a personal opinion. In it, the state has a right to say this, and it, the state has a right to back up its belief by the rule of law because its belief is true, and the claims of the religious believers are not true. Just as liberalism recognizes its role in caring for the well-being uh, of its establishment of irreligion, the church makes a counterclaim that a properly ordered state must care for the well-being of its claim of religious truth. And so the state is making one claim as to how people are supposed to be treated, and the church is making another claim of how people are supposed to be treated. And we're looking at what's going on in society today with warnings, as my wife Lynn read in the very beginning, that when the Christian principles that actually built Western civilization are overturned by the dogma of liberalism, that liberalism is true and that religion is not, we see a decline in Western civilization, in the very civilization that the Catholic Church built, and the very civilization that made it possible, actually, for the so-called secular state to come into existence in the first place. And so what I'm doing here by pointing that out and pointing out the church's uh, position is setting the stage for the idea that not only should the church demand particular freedoms for itself, which it does, and that the state should not interfere in the church's carrying on of its religious uh, command, you know, its religious purpose, what it's been commanded to do. It should not only be left alone, 
but I'm going to make the uh, case in the next uh, session, the, the next uh, uh, <clears throat> show, that it would be a better idea not only to have that, which in itself would be good, but it would might not be a bad idea for the state to start adopting some religious principles into its laws itself uh, in order to constrain and stop the decline that is going on in our society because our government itself is a product of Western civilization, is a product of Christendom. And without Christendom, it would never have even come into existence in the first place. And the idea that it can divorce itself from those particular dogmas and principles is, is false and in doing so, it is setting the stage for its own destruction. So this is the case that uh, this show will try to make. And what I'm reading here is from a declaration of religious freedom by the Catholic Church itself. This is what I'm reading here is actually what Vatican II has said. It isn't going as far as the personal appeal I will make in the next show. But it is saying that the state has no right to interfere with the carrying out of the religious principles that the Catholic Church has been endowed with by Jesus Christ himself and uh, that other Christians that go along with those same principles are not to be interfered with in society in their ability to do the things that are necessary uh, to carry on the Christian idea or the Christian actions in the society itself. It says, this is the freedom of the church contrasted with the freedom of individuals, whether Christian or not. At the same time, the Christian faithful, in common with the rest of men, have the civil right of freedom from interference in leading their lives according to their conscience. In other words, the church is not going to force people to be Christian. A harmony exists, therefore, between the freedom of the church and that religious freedom which must be recognized as the right of all men in all communities and must be sanctioned by constitutional law, that is, for people not to be Christian. But that doesn't mean, according to the church's teaching, that the common law or these people have a right to interfere with the freedom of Christians themselves in carrying out their Christian duties. Freedom of the church is not a mere immunity as it is with freedom of the individuals. In other words, individuals can have an immunity in a sense that they do not have to belong to the Christian community or belong to the Catholic Church. But that doesn't mean that they can act in ways that would interfere with or overturn the church's duties to carry out uh, the Christian uh, commands, the, 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 the Christian work. Rather, the church's freedom is a positive claim of privilege based upon its sole possession of religious truth. It is saying it possesses religious truth, not the state. In contrast, the civic rights of all individuals are claims based upon the dignity of the human person against the potentially coercive power of the state. By making the contrast between freedom of the church and freedom of religion, the declaration, that is, the declaration of religious freedom, uh, by the Vatican Council takes the same ambivalent attitude toward pluralism uh, that is held in a book by uh, a Catholic writer in a book entitled We Hold These Truths. Pluralism is a fact. It cannot be done away with and indeed should not be done away with by coercive means. 
but neither should this pluralism exist at the expense of the authentic freedom of the one true church, which, after all, is in the world to offer the true liberty to all mankind. And that's actually what the Vatican Council on, on the Declaration of Religious Liberty says, that the church is not to be interfered with to the greatest extent possible. People should be given their freedom to live their lives by their own conscience, not have to be a Christian and live by the church, but the laws of the state and the behavior of the people in that state should in not in any way interfere or constrain or restrict or ban the work that is necessary for the Christian community to carry out. So laws that interfere with Christian freedom should be abolished. And this is what the church is saying. And uh, we will go a little bit further in saying that uh, some of the laws of the state need to be conformed to the uh, dogmas and doctrines of Christianity in the church if our society is going to hold together because it's it's declining and falling apart because it was built on those laws from the very beginning. Western civilization, Christendom, was built by the Catholic Church, and uh, it was carried on further even after the Reformation by people who still believed in a lot of those dogmas and principles in Protestantism and took them with them. But it's the Church itself and its particular rules and laws that should be regnant in the state and not the state idea of so-called neutrality that really rules against uh, religion itself and defines religion rather than actually the Catholic Church in its definition of religion. So we'll have to go along those lines. Let's take a look at some of the things that uh, the so-called uh, freedom of religion interferes with uh, in, in uh, religion. Under the Constitution, religion is not only negatively subordinated to state power by its separation from government, but also positively subordinated wherever legislative enactments applicable to all happen to violate the religious convictions of particular individuals or churches. Uh, it goes on here to say that Supreme Court Justice Anton Scalia, and he, he's passed away now, this was written here before he was. He was one of the most conservative justices. But he said uh, that uh, to recall Locke's teaching on this point in uh, letters concerning toleration, the supreme government has the pol pol power to alter the obligation of even some of the laws of God and change the nature of vice and virtue in order to address conduct deemed destructive to human society, and God will respect that political judgment so much as he take care of the preservation of government. In other words, our Constitution and our law concerning religion is based on this idea of John Locke's uh, saying that the supreme government supersedes religion itself and that the supreme government can pass laws in contradiction to God's laws, and God will respect that political judgment. And this is, in effect, saying, is it almost talking like a pope, that somehow 
John Locke knows what religion is, knows what God will do, and can put the state in the supreme position of authority, overriding even what people have taken for centuries as the laws of God, and that somehow or another, because God cares so much for the type of society that has resulted uh, from Western civilization, that God himself will, in effect, uh, go along with the change of his laws in order to keep the state supreme. And what I'm saying here is that we have reached a point like this uh, to where the state itself has exalted itself over and above God uh, and is in a position to rule over all religions. And the result of that is what we're seeing going on around us, a secular materialistic society that uh, is actually destroying the whole of Western civilization. It goes on here, it says, In sum, the words of the First Amendment uh, say what they say. Uh, This is what uh, Anton Scalia is saying. And it was Madison's reading of those words that was to be vindicated by history as the federal judge and constitutional scholar John T. Noonan, Jr. has noted with approval. The First Amendment's religious clauses are what they have always been, not what the keepers of golden legends wish they were today. And what they have always been, as even the Supreme Court's conservative majority demonstrates, is not a neutral accommodation of Christianity, nor an amiable truce between Christian denominations, nor a warrant for non-preferential government support of a meaningless religion in general, but rather a patent negation of the Christian commonwealth or any form of state governed by truce of revelation. Further, even the conservative wing of the court has made it clear that the religion clauses provide no protection against any law of general application that reflects the relevant concerns of a political society and requires the discharge of political responsibilities. The worst, in other words, the state reigns supreme and its general laws, as long as they're not aimed against any particular religion, Uh, are to be observed and obeyed regardless of whether or not it contradicts various religions. And so this idea that we have religious liberty is really an American myth and a narrative that simply isn't true because the state has to have the last say about law. That's a given, or it's not a state. It has to reign. And if its laws are non-Christian, and they are, they're not neutral. And in in effect, they rule against a lot of the, the understandings of Christianity. And so... They certainly do, and you can see it getting worse all the time. And here are some of the things uh, that uh, they abolish. The laws, for example, causing uh, the church to have to close down its uh, adoption agencies are laws that certainly interfere with the Catholic Church's ability to carry on its work, and of course with uh, a lot of Protestants as well doing the same work. There are laws concerning marriage, for example, the divorce laws, that uh, no-fault divorce, for example, can cause in a situation in which a man or a woman, either one, can be left in a situation where one parent... uh, 
sues for divorce, and uh, under the no-fault divorce law, the divorce is granted, and a person finds himself, a man finds himself uh, with his children taken away from him and raised by his former so-called wife. When the church teaches that, you know, there there is no such thing as divorce on a, from a valid marriage, and there are other churches that teach along the same lines, uh, that's one of the other things. But there are, are many laws that are on the books that are contrary and contradictory to the freedom of the church. And uh, those laws are, are uh, contradictory to, you know, religion. And the state has the power of enforcing those laws. And the church has to go along with those laws, even though the church claims that kind of authority for itself. So there is a conflict here. And what we're saying is because of that conflict, our society is in decline. And uh, secular liberalism is being actually supported by the laws of the state. And it is a religion or the mirror of a religion, irreligion. And that irreligion is not compatible with Western civilization. And it is in the process of causing Western civilization to decline. So we're going to have to stop here and end our program. We'll come back and uh, start from here next week and talk about the idea of what it might be like if the government could adopt laws and if uh, people in society could get the government to adopt laws integrating Christianity, especially Catholic Christianity, into the laws of the state and to constrain the state from acting in, in a con- conflict, uh, compelling religious people to behave in a secular, liberal way uh, when they're commanded by their beliefs not to do so. So right now we'll say our prayer. St. Michael, Michael the Archangel, Archangel defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wicked, the snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, no. Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power Lord of God, God thrust into hell Satan, Satan and all evil spirits who wander through the world for the ruin of souls. Amen. You've been listening to Being Catholic with Bob Johnston on Catholic Spirit Radio. If you'd like to contact Bob, email bob at catholicspiritradio.com. Again, that's bob at catholicspiritradio.com. Catholic Spirit Radio relies on your support to bring programming like this and EWTN 24 hours a day. Please help keep Catholic Spirit Radio on the air with your generous support. Donate online at catholicspiritradio.com. Or send a donation to Catholic Spirit Radio, 108 Boykins Place, Normal, Illinois, 61761. That's Catholic Spirit Radio, 108 Boykins Place, Normal, Illinois, 61761. Catholic Spirit Radio is a 501c3, and all donations are tax-deductible. Thank you for your support of Catholic Spirit Radio.